This is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. The optimism from the early days of the war when Ukrainians were able to beat back the Russian offensive on Kyiv has turned to pessimism in recent weeks. Russia's campaign in the Donbass region of the east of Ukraine is paying dividends for them. Outgunned and outmanned, the Ukrainian military continues to take losses. The Russians continue to advance. Russian forces now control most of the Donbass region, and Vladimir Putin now has his land bridge to Russian-occupied Crimea. Today, the leaders of France, Germany, Italy, and Romania met with Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, in Kyiv. They've pledged support, but there's concern that support could be cracking. With us to decipher all of these mixed signals is Chris Miller, director of the Foreign Policy Research Institute's Eurasia Program. He's also author of Putinomics, Money and Power in Resurgent Russia. Uh, Chris, is Russia now winning this war? Well, it's clear that Russia has turned around its pretty poor military performance compared to the first couple weeks of the war when uh, Russia's military was disorganized. Uh, the logistics weren't uh, weren't sorted out. Now they're fighting like we thought they would fight from the outset, and they've succeeded in taking some territory over the past couple of weeks. But the reality is that although they've managed to take a couple of towns, the war is basically a stalemate. Uh, and thus far, it doesn't seem like either the Ukrainians or the Russians have the capability to score a knockout punch. Okay, so winning in this region, but probably can't win, and maybe neither side can. Most wars end at the negotiating table. They end by signing something. So inevitably, this has to get there, right? How does that happen? Well, every war ends at the negotiating table, but it doesn't necessarily happen soon. And there's plenty of examples in history of wars that lasted years or in some cases, even decades. And right now, it seems like both the Ukrainians and the Russians think that time is on their side. And they both have a reasonable argument to make as to why that's true. And so until one of the sides thinks that they really need to cut a deal soon, neither one has an incentive to move towards a ceasefire. Yeah. And and one does have to wonder about uh, the patience of the American public. We'll leave the uh, Western European allies off the table for the moment. Uh, You know, initially, when everyone thought this was going to be a quick war, whatever that means, but a quick war. Uh, there was a lot of support, still is, of course, in this country. But there are, the, you know, there is this sort of sense that people are going, well, you know, like, what, when is this going to end and how much more money are we going to send? Yeah, I think there's no good answer as to when it's going to end. Anyone who tells you they know the answer to that is, is simply overconfident. It could last for weeks longer. It could last for months longer. I think what we've learned about the Russian side since the war has started is that although Putin had a uh, a variety of defensive justifications for the war, he said it was about keeping NATO off his doorstep. Since the war started, he's been much more open about his desire to take territory, not only in Ukraine, but he's also talked about taking territory in the Baltic region, uh, citing the example of czars like Peter the Great and Catherine the Great, who conquered large swaths of Eastern Europe. And so this type of territorial ambition, I think, is is quite dangerous. And it means that even if the U.S. said, let's try to find a way to stop the war, well, you need to get Putin to sign up to that. And it's far from clear that he's willing to sign up with the current territory as his limit. The sanctions that were put on Russia, are they withholding those better than some people had thought at the outset? It's certainly the case that the sanctions haven't forced the Russians to the negotiating table. I don't think 
actually most of the U.S. officials who designed the sanctions thought they were going to work in a, a matter of weeks. The, the cost on the Russian economy and especially the Russian defense sector is real, but it's going to be felt over a matter of months and years, probably not enough to force the Russians to do a deal in the short term. All right. So then that, I guess, goes back to the question. So how many more sanctions do we try to slap on the Russians? Because there's a kind of boomerang effect and we're now being sort of impacted. And some economists may argue we're being more impacted than they are, at least in the short run. Well, I don't think there's a, a good argument that we're being more impacted than they are. Um, you know, although sanctions have contributed to the inflation, the reality is that inflation is substantially higher in Russia, and the uh, downturn in Russia is going to be quite severe this year. Um, but you're absolutely right that the cost of sanctions has discouraged U.S. leaders as well as allies in Europe from uh, racing forward to impose new sanctions. And I think right now it seems like the Biden administration has decided for at least the foreseeable future they're going to focus on helping the Ukrainians get advanced weaponry uh, and do less on the sanctions front. For the last you know few weeks and when this was starting to get talked about more, people kept saying, well, you know, let Russia take this chunk and then Ukraine call it a, a end of the war. They didn't take Kiev. They didn't take the whole country, which is easy for people thousands of miles away to say, easier to say than people who are in Ukraine saying, no, 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 they've been here for years and years. We want them out once and for all, and we don't want them to take any more than they already have. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and it's easy to talk about temporary ceasefires that end the fighting. The reality is that any temporary ceasefire would turn into a permanent Russian occupation of a big chunk of Ukraine's territory. And I think you'd have to assume, and certainly the Ukrainians assume, that this phase of the war, which is not the first phase of the war, also won't be the last phase of the war. Uh, Russian leaders from Putin to former President Medvedev, all the way down the hierarchy, have articulated the view that they don't think Ukraine should exist. Uh, and so long as that's the dominant perception in the Russian elite, there's no reason to think that a temporary ceasefire would be anything other than temporary. Chris Miller, director of the Foreign Policy Research Institute's Eurasia program and the book Putinomics, Money and Power in Resurgent Russia. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.